The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. I want to be a part of the ultimate vision in Revelation of a company that no one can number that's made of every tribe, nation, people, language. I want to play whatever part God has given me in seeing that community assembled. Many of you recognize that voice. Alistair Begg of Radio's Truth For Life joins us now on First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We'll get started in conversation with Alistair in just a few moments after I remind you that our website is where you'll find all of our past interviews as we talk with people from all walks of life who are following their call in service to Jesus Christ. At firstpersoninterview.com, you can stream any of our hundreds of interviews as well as see the schedule of who's coming up in the weeks ahead. Once again, you'll find us at firstpersoninterview.com. Alistair Begg, who grew up in Scotland, has been pastor of Parkside Church in the Cleveland, Ohio area for many years. His radio ministry, Truth for Life, started in 1995, and it reaches nationwide and beyond. His preaching is expositional, meaning he goes systematically verse by verse through the scriptures. Alistair joined me recently from his Truth for Life studio so we could get to know him just a little bit better. Well, Alistair, thank you for taking the time to join us on First Person. Thanks for the opportunity, Wayne. Sure. Uh, I'd like to get to know you more than what we typically learn from a book jacket or a website uh, biography. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do something kind of fun today. With all apologies to the game show Jeopardy, I've established several categories that you can choose from. And this will be our launching point today, okay? So the categories are Scotland. You knew I had to ask that one, right? Of course. All right. Grandparenting. Golf, British pop music of the 60s, my advice to young pastors, and finally, he who finds a wife. So where would, wow. you, li- where would you like to start? Are you going to cover some of them no matter where I start? Uh, we'll have to see. Maybe. As, as time permits, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go with grandparenting. Grandparenting. Oh, interesting. All right. So how many and where are they? Oh, how many grandparents do I have? How many grandchildren do you have? Oh, I thought you wanted to ask me about my grandchildren. You're not going to be one of those guests, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think I am already. Uh, no, honestly, when you said grandparenting, I, I instinctively thought he wants to ask me about the influence of my grandparents on me. Well, we, it never we can, actually occurred to me. We can talk so, about that as well, sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have eight grandchildren. Eight? Sorry. All right. Boy, that, that's wonderful. We only have one, yeah. so... I'm just a little jealous about that. And uh, how, yeah, well, I can if I can give you a loan of two or three on any. <laughs> we won't name names. On any, fr- yeah, on any Friday evening, yeah. I I know being a grandparent is very special to you. Um, but since you brought it up, tell me, your, your grandparents had uh, an influence on you spiritually? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my my paternal grandfather died before I was born. Um, he died at 56. He had an influence on me in a number of ways that uh, uh, he never, ever knew. Uh, one, he was a shepherd in the remote regions of the highlands of I, Scotland. I know. I knew I liked him already, yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, he, uh, he also was a sort of godly 
uh, Highland Presbyterian. Um, my grandmother, my paternal uh, grandmother, uh, died when I was five years old. Uh, I just uh, knew her only as uh, the way a, uh, a grandson has that peculiar love for a grandmother. Mm-hmm. I remember her face. I remember her walking with me in the park. I remember her gentleness. Mm-hmm. I remember her saying to my father, oh, leave the boy alone. <laughs> um, and uh, on the other side, my, my uh, grandparents on my mother's side, uh, a Catholic lady brought up in a convent, uh, married to a Protestant guy who was in the First World War. Um, very different uh, lives and a very different background. My grandfather was... Um, uh, invalided out of the First World War, but he did not allow that to stand in the way of life for him. And he, uh, I learned from my grandfather how to talk to people. I learned from my grandfather how to tell a story. I learned humor from my grandfather without him trying to be funny. And um, he just had a, had a huge impact on my young life. I never really thought much about it while it was happening, but in retrospect, I realized that many of the ways in which I go about my life is tied to observing his interaction with people just in the uh, common places of life mm-hmm. in, in very normal and ordinary situations. Yeah. So when I think about being a grandfather, I, I, I hope that I can combine both the, the uh, earthy warm, warmth of uh, the one with the sort of godly shepherdology of the other one. Hmm. That's wonderful. That's very good. All right, um, let me go to Scotland then, which is where you were born and raised. Tell me about the transition from Scotland to the States, from pastoring a church in Scotland. How did you end up in the Cleveland, Ohio area? Well, somebody gave my name. uh, Actually, at a board meeting at Moody Bible Institute, fascinatingly, someone on the board had uh, had a prayer request, you know, said, we're looking for a pastor in Cleveland if anybody has any bright ideas. <laughs> Nobody had any bright ideas, but somebody did have an idea <laughs> and uh, gave them my name as a bit of a joke. They never got the joke. And that began a process whereby uh, somebody uh, showed up out of the blue in Scotland one Sunday. He was on a business trip, took it upon himself to come and try and find us, found us. And uh, that began a fairly long saga that uh, ended up in uh, uh, August of 1983, myself and Susan and uh, our three tiny children uh, coming here. Uh, What was it like? It was uh, exciting, alarming, (laughs) and uh, peculiarly challenging, and really, really hard to leave uh, Scotland behind because my family, um, any friends, the few friends that I had were there. Um, yeah, everything that represented security mm-hmm. uh, was left at, at Presswick Airport, yeah. and you know we we landed here. Yeah. So, had you ever considered before that coming to the U.S.? Oh yeah, I came to the U.S. because I had fallen in love with this American girl uh, in in England. And I, I was very annoyed that her father took her back to America. And <laughs> how dare he? <laughs> I think he, I think he did it on purpose. Uh, but I wasn't to be dissuaded, and I actually came to America 
on a student ticket in 1972. Oh, okay. Uh, when I went with Campus Crusade to Expo 72, oh, as yes. you may remember. Yeah. And that was where I managed to link up with this American family and uh, keep the, the tentative relationship going for another uh, while as we wrote uh, letters across the Atlantic Ocean. But we were married and immediately went to Scotland. Each of our children were born there. And so we had never actually set out to come back to America. We never thought of it in those terms. And uh, so it was a big change for both of us because uh, Sue was only 20 when we married. She was 28 when we came back. And all the formative things of life post-20 had been experienced in Scotland in a very different environment. Mm -hmm. But after all, this was home for her, yeah. even though it wasn't for me. Which leads me to my category, he who finds a wife. Proverbs 18.22 finds favor from the Lord. You certainly would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I joke with folks that every pastor needs a wife if for no other reason than to keep him humble. Mm. And... Um, Sue has uh, Sue has been just such a stalwart part of my life. I, uh, as I say, I I met her when she was only thirteen. I was sixteen, and I I I wasn't prepared to let this go. And um, I have enjoyed the benefits of her friendship uh, uh, over over all these years. And yeah, I I, I I'm amazed that. Uh, the way that others have managed to do, you know, perhaps as a single pastor, God gives special grace in those circumstances, but I would find it very, very hard to go home to myself. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, that companionship is absolutely vital to me. Wonderful. Regarding Scotland, I've often uh, wondered if uh, someone like yourself who grew up there and now are in America, if us Americans try to identify by impressing you with how much uh, Scottish DNA we have. Mine's 92%, by the way. Uh, <laughs> 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 what do you think? Only 92. Only 92. I knew on. you'd say that. Come on. I knew you yeah, would say that. On. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. the name is Shepherd, so that has to count for something, yeah, right? Yeah, no, it's very good. <laughs> very good. I'm jealous of the name. Yeah. And golf in Scotland. Why is it that uh, you were carrying on a Scottish tradition yourself, aren't you? Well, trying to. Trying to. I, I do think, I, I joke with my friends that, you know, everybody, I say everybody really wants to be Scottish. You know, all, all my American friends, also, well, we, we loved it and we found our castle. And there just aren't enough castles in Scotland to go around for all the, all the American friends I have. Um, well, golf, you know, there's a famous Robin Williams piece of uh, Robin Williams explaining the, the invention of golf, which if you've never seen it on YouTube, is, is worth the visit. But, um, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do in a place that's, uh, that, where there's nothing to do? You know, <laughs> find, a, find a rabbit hole and try and hit stones into it using a walking stick, you know. And, and turn, it's second only to curling, you know, where you take gigantic boulders and slide them down slippery pathways. It's, uh, we're pretty limited over there. Yeah. We really are. Yeah. But, but we're on the threshold of the Ryder Cup as we speak. Okay, and, uh, all right. Yeah, so we managed to export it, and uh, and it seems to be uh, playing well around the universe. Yeah. Everyone needs a way to relax. Is golf the relaxer for you? Yes, I think so. I like it very much. I enjoy the time with people. I like to walk uh, rather than ride around in, in buggies, <laughs> and I really do 
go out on a golf course and forget about everything and everyone else. So it, it is a relaxation. It's jolly difficult relaxation, but nevertheless, it is. Golfers everywhere are nodding in agreement. We'll continue with Alistair Begg coming up in a moment on First Person. I'm Ed Cannon. The Far East Broadcasting Company partners with First Person because we celebrate the stories of people everywhere who have given their lives to Christ and serve Him. Our broadcasters in 50 countries of the world hear stories every day of people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and who have faithfully been taught God's Word. In addition to First Person, I'm pleased that Wayne and I host a podcast, and we invite you to join us. Listen to Until All Have Heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. My guest is Alistair Begg, who is pastor of Parkside Church, the speaker on Truth For Life, radio broadcast on most of these same stations. And Alistair, I've been listening to some of your sermons recently and just reminded how God has gifted you. I want to talk more seriously about the ministry that you have. Who were some of the mentors spiritually in your life who encouraged you early on? Well, my father was a huge influence. He was a businessman. He wasn't a, he wasn't a pastor. He, he interestingly uh, got a discharge from the, the British Army in the Second World War to study at Glasgow University for the Presbyterian ministry. Um, he never was able to explain to me why he never, why he never saw that through. And uh, uh, he was he was uh, an effective uh, speaker at men's events. He was a Christian businessman, and he was involved in, you know, all all matters sort of evangelistic with young people and so on. And so. You know, I grew up observing that. I grew up listening to that. I grew up influenced by that. In terms of uh, pastoral ministry, um, I, you know, I, I went to church with my parents, and I actually listened. I mean, I, I'm sure I wasn't a, a very good student, but I did listen because I retained a tremendous amount. And I liked the pastors, whoever they were. I always wanted to meet them. I wanted to I get my tiny paw into their gigantic hands and <laughs> and shake hands with them, and and as I grew and got into my teenage years, having professed faith in Christ, I began then to pay attention to people who were, um, you know, notable. Uh, for example, Martin Lloyd Jones uh, yes. at Westminster Chapel, um, John Stott, um, Dick Lucas, another evangelical Anglican, David Watson, who was at a church in York. Um, and I could go through a long list of people like this. I, I was fascinated by them, uh, not simply in their ability to unpack the scriptures, but also in their ability to communicate. You know, many people can drone on for 45 minutes, but not everybody's able to get up and get to the issue and get back down again and still leave you wishing you could have listened for a little while longer. Yeah. And so I, I was influenced and continue actually to be influenced by that kind of capacity and yeah. ability. In addition to those mentors, who were some of the heroes, perhaps even those who've gone before us, that you read and uh, studied and look yeah. up to? Well, Spurgey, I mean, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. <laughs> I mean, every, every you know, British boy, I think, with any interest in, in those matters would be influenced yeah. by that. I just writings. read a book about Spurgeon's wife, Susie. Oh, yes, Susanna, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I finally made a pilgrimage to his tombstone in, in West Norwood in London in the last two or three years, and, and uh, yeah, I was glad to be there. Um, Murray McShane, 
who died at the age of 29, St. Peter's Dundee, a Scottish uh, young man uh, who left us only a few books, but again, as a Scottish boy, you would be introduced to that. Uh, not a pastor, but a huge influence would be Eric Little oh, of yeah. Chariots of Fire fame. Yeah. We all know uh, that story, of, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and especially the second part of the story of him going as a, mm -hmm. a teacher in a missionary school in China and dying there as a, as a young man. Um, yeah, I can go beyond that. But that's quite a list. Some. That's, that's yep. quite a list. It really is. Aren't we thankful? And you, you talked earlier about being able to look back on the influence of your grandparents now. And uh, I'm sure also when you look back on all, all the influences in your life, you can see how God was preparing you each step of the way for what you're doing now. Yeah, I think so. All right. Um, my advice to young pastors is one of my categories. Mm. Uh, young Christian leaders, what when when asked about it by them, maybe they don't even ask, maybe you just offer it, but what would you say? Uh, I say a lot of things. I say things, I mean, I repeat things that people said to me. You know, for example, I remember Jim Boyce saying to me when I was a lot younger, I mean, Jim died as a young man. He said, you know, Alistair, you'll tend to overestimate what you can accomplish in one year and underestimate what you can accomplish in five. Mm. Um, in other words, slow down. You know, it's uh, it, take your time here. Don't don't try and say everything you ever learned about the passage in the in the service, um, and uh, just just slow things down maybe that would yep. be one thing i just watched um, you give that precise advice in the installation of the new pastor of moody church in chicago oh did i really did i say you, that you, well, then you I, said that in the video that uh, as a part of that service so yes well then i guess i'm at least consistent or <laughs> yeah. or or, or ho horribly repetitious <laughs> um yeah, I th I probably I probably said to him, or I should have said to him, "Be yourself and forget yourself." <laughs> um, you know that you know that no matter who our influences uh, are or where, uh, we are not them. Uh, we are us. You know. Yeah. Right. And uh, it's, you know, to thy own self be true. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of taking seriously your task but not taking yourself too seriously. It's very easy to get that flipped upside down. And um, th that then can come across as uh, uh, pretentious or precocious. And uh, I, I, I'm constantly aware of our proclivity for pride, you know, that mm -hmm. um, I, I think as Augustine has said, there's something about humility that appeals to my ego. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that. The, the idea of, of actually being proud about being humble it's such a it's such a yeah. strange thought yeah but we do but it I am, yes it's easy to do it's easy to do again that takes back to good friends uh you know your wife your children um your colleagues but you know i'm i'm constantly uh tied to isaiah 66 2b you know this is the one to whom i will look says the lord he is humble contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I think that nobody uh, listening to those of us who are who have a facility with language or who have been able to communicate with relative ease would uh, would think that for a moment there was any uh, trembling element. 
It's not important that they know that we tremble. It's important that God knows that we tremble and that uh, I think the key to not trembling in public is trembling in private. And so lear learning, to, learning to do that in the secret place is, is I think, tied to usefulness in the public place. Let's talk about rightly dividing the word of truth. You, you preach expositionally. Let's, let's explain what that means. Well, I think expositional preaching is essentially uh, allowing the text to determine the content, the course, and the direction of the instruction, as opposed to coming to the text, uh, looking to the text to support uh, uh, an idea or something that one wants to say. It's not necessarily wrong to do that, but the people who were models for me always did the skiots, that is the systematic consecutive exposition of the scriptures. And I grew up under that, and it just seemed to me to make perfect sense that the reason that um, uh, it was a letter is because it was a letter. And so I'd like to know uh, why the, the, how the introduction ties with the middle and how the end fits with all that's gone before. And I, re and I began to understand how the Bible fitted together as being under that kind of instruction. And so I, I just didn't know any other way to go about it except that, and so I started to do that, and I've largely done that yeah. you know, ever, ever since. I'm just curious now, you've been in the pastorate these years, and you handle the Word of God so ably. What goals do you have for yourself, Alistair? I have one overarching goal, and that would be you know, to finish the race faithfully, you know, to run right through the tape. I'd like to make sure that I don't lie down on the grass. Mm. Um, I, I want to see, I want to be a part of the ultimate vision uh, in Revelation of a company that no one can number that's made of every tribe, nation, people, language. I, I want to play whatever part God has given me in seeing that community assembled. Um, and then really my goal is very limited. It just goes from Sunday to Sunday. I mean, I just, you know, like today's Thursday and I studied pretty well yesterday, but not as well as I could. Today, I've done a lot of things that are important, but haven't advanced the ball for 2 Samuel 14. So tomorrow is a big day. And uh, so my goal is to be well prepared for my responsibilities uh, on the Lord's day. And I figure that if I just keep doing that, it's a bit like going out for a run. You just run to the next lamppost. And uh, if you can make it there, then you can maybe run to the next one after that. So uh, that, I, that I may finish the course, I guess that's it, that I might run, run with faithfulness all the way through the tape. 2 Timothy 4, 5, that I might keep my head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of my ministry. That would be it. That would be it. What a legacy that would be for Alistair and for any of us. Our guest has been Alistair Begg, pastor of Parkside Church in suburban Cleveland and the speaker on Truth For Life. My thanks to him and to the Truth For Life staff for helping us make the connection with his studio. When you have a few moments anytime soon, would you take time to visit the website febc.org? There are amazing testimonies there of God reaching people through radio broadcasts in many diverse countries of the world. The Far East Broadcasting Company is staffed by indigenous broadcasters who know the language and can reach their countrymen with the gospel. Learn about the results when you visit febc.org. And while you're there on the website, listen for even more on our podcast with Ed Cannon until all have heard. 
That's febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.